Well, thanks for coming tonight. I um, I did get a uh, I I got a couple questions emailed to me um, about uh, following up um, on something from Sunday. So uh, I'll give you some information on that. You can you can write some of these passages down and and go back and look at them later if you'd like to. But um, the uh, the questions were uh, related to the angel of the Lord. So uh, Sunday talked about uh, Moses and the burning bush and how Moses encountered God in the, mo- in the burning bush. And that uh, Exodus, uh, the Exodus passage described the angel, of, the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses in the burning bush. And that um, <clears throat> as part of that encounter, uh, the, the text uh, doesn't really make a distinction between the angel of the Lord talking and God talking. And um, so we'll, we'll go into just a, a little bit more of that. But then um, the questions were, and there were, there were four questions, and they were all the same question. And it was kind of neat. But the, the questions written a little differently were, uh, what other occurrences do we see of the angel of the Lord, th- this particular figure, this, um, th- this second person of the Trinity, if you will, and so um, I'm not going to give an exhaustive list, uh, but I'll but I'll provide uh, some of the more common uh, some of the more common ones. And and what is it? They uh, wanted one of them wanted me to go over again. What is it that makes this angel of the Lord um, uh, different from other angels and and everything like that? So uh, the the biggest reason. Uh, there are actually uh, three big reasons why um, <clears throat> it's believed uh, that this um, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is um, the pre-incarnate Christ, if you will. Uh, in Genesis 16, if you want to turn there, you can. But in Genesis 16, we have an occurrence of the angel of the Lord speaking as God, not speaking for God, that angels typically do, you know, when Gabriel showed up to um, give news to Mary, uh, not speaking as God, but speaking the message that was given uh, to that angel for Mary from God. But uh, this, uh, this speaks as God, Genesis 16. Kevin, that usually comes... Right before, or right after 15. All right, Genesis 16, this is Sarah and Hagar, uh, beginning in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants, uh, so they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and will bear a son. Call his name Ishmael, uh, because uh, the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. How would you like God to describe you that way? Um, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east of his brothers. So what you have here is this angel is not saying, thus saith the Lord. The angel of the Lord is saying, I am going to do this. I am going to do this. I will greatly multiply your descendants. Um, and, and, and so we have this, this, uh, this entity speaking as God, not speaking for God. Uh, another instance is in Genesis 21, verses 17 and 18. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. So it's it's in these 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 pronouns, in the way that um, the way that this, you know, this uh, person, uh, this person of the Trinity, is talking as God, not necessarily for God. Uh, so that's that's one aspect. The second aspect is um, this entity actually identifies himself as God. 
So in Genesis 31, and these are just kind of these are just kind of things by which we can identify this particular um, this particular encounter. It's called a, a Christophany. Um, Christophany. <clears throat> Genesis 31, 11 through 13. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, this is obviously Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats, <laughs> which are mating are striped, speckled and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. So there's, again, there's no distinction being made here when the angel of God speaks as God and refers to, um, refers to him, himself as God. Um, also, this entity receives worship. And so in Joshua 5.13, uh, which we talked about a few weeks back, this is that, that encounter whenever Joshua is about to go into Jericho and he sees this a man with a flaming sword standing there, and he goes up to him and says, sir, are you with me or with them? <laughs> and uh, he says, neither, but as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. Uh, and he tells him, take off your shoes for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua then uh, assumes a posture of worship, bowing down. Um, <clears throat> in other instances where human beings have done this with an angelic being, they've quickly told him, no, don't do that. Uh, this, this being receives that worship uh, and doesn't, doesn't rebuke Joshua or stop Joshua from, from doing it. Um, one, one more that's really interesting to me is in Exodus 14. And this is really, really neat to me. Exodus 14. There's this point uh, where the, the pillar of God is being described, and then this angel of God uh, being described as going with Israel, okay? So the Pharaoh's in pursuit, the sea is divided, and in 1419, after the Red Sea incident, Exodus 14:19, the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near and the other all night. But we have the angel of God moving with the camp. Now, what's really interesting about that is if you go over to 1 Corinthians, over in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul tells us in, in uh, pretty clear terms <laughs> who that was, who that was. And he refers to him as a rock, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes, For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Okay. Thank you, Paul, uh, for, for clearing that up. Uh, the, the, the other instance here, which is uh, we have to get New Testament support for it to make sense, is over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Something that, uh, a verse that's very familiar to all of us. When God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle and the creeping things, which creepeth, depending on your translation, creepeth over the, the, the whole earth. So who is this us that God is referring to? Um, the, most, the most common understanding of that is God is referring to the Trinity but what we have in John chapter 1, verse 3, and a couple of other passages, uh, is, is a bit more of a description on how Christ, the second person of the Trinity, 
was involved in creation itself. So in John chapter 1, again, some of these may be, may be familiar to you. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse 3. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. And this is right after uh, the text shows or reveals that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. And John is speaking of Jesus. All things came into being by Him, by this second person uh, of the Trinity. And then Colossians 1.16 This is that uh, famous passage. He is above all things, and uh, all things were created by him and for him. In, in him, all things hold together. But I want to get there and, and read it, um, not paraphrase it, but read it. Colossians 1.16. For by him, this is talking, uh, speaking of Jesus. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things. I'm going to read some of this Sunday to get a sneak peek. Okay, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, which is what we'll be reading tonight. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. I always get stuck in those little books like Titus and Philemon. There we go. <clears throat> in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the world. So one of my professors put it this way, that in the act of creation, there was the Father's will, the Son's work. Uh, I'm sorry, the Father's will, the Son's word, and the Spirit's work is how they kind of uh, work together. The Father's will, the Son's word, the Logos, the Word made flesh, um, and the Spirit's work as the Spirit was hovering over the waters uh, and doing that. So I hope that, hope that helps with... Uh, you know, just to, and those are really that's really scratching the surface. There are quite a few more um, occurrences and instances in the Old Testament where this is not just a regular angel, so to speak, but the angel of the Lord and um, the kind of the ministry, a, a Christophany, or the ministry of Christ before He was incarnate. Any questions or clarification? You have a weird question. No way. Right. Well, and you, <laughs> you're okay. I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do the frustrating thing and say, come, come back week after next when I talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, but really, whenever you know, the the short answer to that is whenever the Scripture refers to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Uh, refers to the Holy Spirit uh, in in terms of of personhood. So, um, if 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 the Scripture does that, and again, I'll unpack that more whenever I talk about because um, we have I believe in Jesus this weekend, and then we have All Saints Day where I'm going to um, talk about the resurrection, and then um, then I believe in the Holy Spirit will come after that. But um, yeah. And the thing is, when we say person, even that language is kind of limited because it's called an anthropomorphism, and that's a big 50-cent word uh, that just means when we're trying to give human attributes so that we can wrap our minds around how to conceive of and, and, and understand how someone like God works, because God is spirit. And those who worship, worship in spirit and in truth. So those times in the Bible where the eye of the Lord, well, that's an anthropomorphism. And so we, the Holy Spirit obviously has personality, you know, intellect, emotions, and will. Um, but does that mean the Holy Spirit has two arms and two legs and, and, you know, hair and everything like that? Well, no, not necessarily. We're trying to 
use the best human terms we can describe to describe something not human um, and even language itself. Language is a vehicle. You know, we, we try to take words and put meanings in them and we want that to get from me to you. And uh, I can tell you as a preacher about half the time, what I'm hoping is in that vehicle getting to you. I'll say something, you hear something different and then think that I might have meant something different even on top of that. So it's fun. I have a really fun job. Yeah, but yeah, but but I, I do, and I've even I've I, I will hear people often refer to the Holy Spirit as it, and uh, I'm not I'm not going to jump up and down. You know, I'm not going to say it. You know, I don't want to be bring her to church with you when we talk about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> bring her, bring her on. Well, we, we can get the recording to her. Or to, give me her address. I'll go to her house. No, I'm down. <laughs> yep. Any, any other questions or thoughts or anything on that? All right. Clear as mud. Great. Okay. Well, uh, we've been talking about the Bible the last few weeks. Um, and, and, and really, this is a little bit of a companion to the Credo series uh, what do we, what, you know, uh, much of what we believe about God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the resurrection, all the different things in the Apostles' Creed, we're informed, uh, formed and informed about those beliefs through the Scriptures. So it stands to reason then, what do we believe about the Bible? And uh, because these have been a little more technical, I've saved them, saved them for this, and so th- this, this time... So we, we started a couple weeks back with uh, the, the truth of the Bible. Where, where do we find the truth of the Bible? And we talked about that. Uh, last week, we talked about the authority of the Bible and that it's a, it's a good thing the Bible has authority because if we rely on our own authority, um, where we're, we're so all over the place, you know, given our feelings and experiences and, and inconsistencies that we need an authority outside of ourselves to really... Um, uh, arrange our lives around that. And uh, so the Bible has that authority, and it's a good thing that the Bible has that authority for us. And tonight, we're going to um, kind of look at this question, is the Bible, is it God's final word? Um, <clears throat> and uh, I don't know, the title might be, I'm, I'm hoping the title's not really misleading, but what, what we're trying to do is navigate the question, is the Bible finished? Okay, is the Bible finished? Uh, should it be improved upon, corrected, updated with modern information? And what I'm not talking about there are Bible translations. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I think we do need, uh, with uh, whenever improved and, and, and greater scholarship comes out and we understand the languages more and understand the culture uh, historically uh, in, in, a, in a more robust way, I think that information needs to help us with improved translating. What I'm talking about are that thing that happens a lot of times when maybe a friend will say to you or say to me, God told me or God revealed to me this. And whatever that is, is not necessarily consistent with what we know of the Bible. well, have they received a new revelation from God? I've, I've, I've heard some people say that. I've received a new revelation from God. I remember reading a book several years ago about a, a person who said that they went to hell for a period of time. And, you know, they sold a lot of books because it scared a lot of people. And my issue with it was, and, you know, they said this, and, and, and not only that, it was Jesus that took them to hell. And Jesus told them to write about this so that people would, uh, you know, people would um, believe and, you know, come, come to faith in Christ. Okay, there's some things about that that sound good. We want more people to come to Christ. Um, my problem was, <clears throat> okay, you're writing about something. Jesus has told you to write something. Okay, that's very similar to, you know, the inspiration of Scripture for uh, the apostles and, and those who, who wrote Scripture. And this person claimed to be a Christian. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for Jesus to allow this person to experience the condemnation of hell, even for a short period of time, would seem to violate his own word. So I had to say, I think, I think, no. <laughs> um, no, uh, it, it's violating the revealed word that we have. And so if I got to choose between the revealed word that we have and someone saying, I have a new revelation, I'm going to go with what we already have. So that's what I'm talking about, because there are, there are, are, are some who may wonder, well, isn't God still speaking today? And that's a question that I've had Christians ask me before when they say, well, Kevin, if you believe that the Bible is finished, the canon is closed, so are you saying God isn't speaking anymore? No, that's not what we're saying. So when you know, God told me or God revealed to me blank and it's something weird or um, wrong or, or, or whatever. And what about, Kevin, things like polygamy and slavery and the subjugation of women and eating shellfish? You know, things like that that are in the Bible that just seem to be outdated or um, uh, just passe or things that really, come on, doesn't the Bible need, a, need an upgrade every now and then? Um, what do we do with that? Is the Bible God's final word? Um, yes and no. Okay? And what I mean by that is, um, yes, the canon is closed. Um, but God's final word is Jesus Christ himself. Okay? And so the canon is closed. God's final word is Jesus Christ himself. So is the Bible God's final word? Like, like I said, yes and no. God's final word is Jesus, the word made flesh. But the canon, the, the words, uh, the revealed text about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how followers of Jesus are to live and move and have our being is closed. And so it's, a, it's, uh, it's one of those questions that I think we got to turn to the scripture to figure out how to, how to deal with it. And the book of Hebrews uh, can give us some good tools for that. So what we're going we're gonna to look at tonight is that Jesus brings God's final word, okay? This word, that, that living word, uh, uh, the, the living word creates, uh, or that final word, Jesus, creates a living, dynamic relationship, okay? And in that relationship, we experience the fullness of God's character, all right? So those are the, we're going to try to scratch the surface Oh, and I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through these. I'm just, I'm just giving you a summary real quick. So let's look at that. Uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I'll read those, and, um, and then we'll get into that first, that, that first uh, point. And that first point is Jesus brings God's final word. Jesus brings God's final word. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So that's for that creative, that Jesus present at creation and what he had to do with creation. Um, excuse me, popping up there again. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We'll stop there, okay, for this first one. Jesus brings God's final word. Now, I was talking to Mitzi before we got started, and Mitzi was talking about um, uh, the beauty of sunrises and sunsets, the beauty of full moons and stars, and my son Cameron loves, loves, loves to look through his telescope and I love to look through it with him. And so we're, we're looking around for dark sky spaces around here uh, to, to be able to do that. We love to do that. I love to be out on the water. You know, I love to be out in God's creation. And a lot of us do, you know, and we can feel closer to God in creation. I believe that. I think that's good. And do I experience God in a sunrise or a sunset? You know what? I can but that's not enough because 
a, a sunrise or a sunset can't, um, can't establish a relationship. You know, a sunrise or a sunset can't replace friendship or marriage um, or those, those relationships where we need communication and give and take. And so what's wonderful about the role that Jesus plays in bringing God's final word to us is that Jesus shows us that our God, yes, we can experience God in and through what God has made, but we experience God personally in and through what God has said. Our God is a personal speaking God. Our God speaks and speaks to us and, and, and speaks through his son to, to us. And Jesus is the ultimate full and final expression of what God has, has said, has been saying, continues to say, and will always say uh, throughout eternity. So yeah, what God has made is gorgeous, you know, but it's not going to replace friendship or marriage. Um, it's not personal. And so let's look at this text because we, we see the person of Jesus speaking in some ways that are extremely personal and somewhat final, okay, or, or full and complete. I'll put it that way. Uh, in verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That word there, various ways, and, and I think it was last week, it might have been the week before that I was talking about the beautiful Greek of Hebrews and the redneck Greek of Peter, right? And um, so we have this beautiful Greek here with Hebrews. And that phrase, various ways, it could, it could also be translated in pieces, okay? Um, not fully, okay? That's the idea, that through the prophets, through our ancestors, the way God has spoken in the past has been in pieces, in glimpses, in um, snippets, in sound bites, if you will. We've gotten pieces of the puzzle through the prophets and in the past. But in these last days, he has spoken, perfect tense, Okay, it's fully, holy, and finally complete. So various ways in pieces, but in these last days, he has spoken fully. He has spoken in a complete picture. He has spoken in a, in a, in a full way. And, and Paul talks about this when he says, you know, the, the, what Christ was going to come to do was a mystery. It was a mysterious, kind of blurry image, incomplete thing to uh, to to those in in the uh, in, in the in the Old Testament days, Paul didn't use the term Old Testament, but to those prophets, those who were looking ahead, and 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 they they were looking for the Messiah, but it was still kind of fuzzy. It was a mystery. But now Paul says, now in the fullness of time, Jesus has come, and and the mystery is revealed. The mystery of Christ is revealed, and. Hebrews picks up on that thing, on that theme here. Um, in these last days, he has spoken. The perfect tense there is, is really important. It is a full, whole, and complete type of speaking. And that has come to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Now, we get a little bit of a tangent here. It's a good tangent. Um, but I want to read through that because our thought picks up in just a moment. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay, you'll want to circle that. We're going to come back to that in point two. Powerful word. After, now we pick up our thought again about completeness. After he had provided purification for sins, his passion, um, going, going to the cross, uh, his, um, his, his death for our sins, his death that, uh, uh, by which he was victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, uh, his death by which he provided inspiration and salvation for us all uh, who follow him. After that happened, he sat down. Now, this is, this is important. To sit down is an act of completion. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, 
there is the language of there were there was uh, incomplete speaking before. In Jesus, he has spoken and he's spoken fully, finally, completely. He has spoken and in his word, um, he has powerfully accomplished our salvation and he has powerfully accomplished and completed revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but revelation. Revealing to us who God is. Revealing to us the character of God. He is the exact representation. He is the radiance of God's glory. Okay? Elsewhere in the Bible, it says, all the fullness of the Godhead is contained in Jesus. Not, and contains not rather the right word, but it's all I got right now. Uh, but is, is seen and experienced in Jesus. There is no more of God for God to reveal to us than was revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the living word, is the full and final word of God to us. Everything about God, everything we need to know about God, we find it and we learn about it and we experience it in the person of Jesus. So Jesus brings God's final word to us as a person and in uh, who God is and in what God has done. Um, but that brings us back to those weird questions about shellfish and garments made out of mixed materials. What do we do with those, you know? Um, <clears throat> what about polygamy, slavery, subjug subjugation of women? Okay. Part of that, we, we, have to, we have to go back to the context of some of these things. Um, polygamy. This is one that, that uh, some of my uh, non-believing friends um, bring up a lot. You know, polygamy. Surely, surely, I mean, the Bible teaches polygamy, Kevin. Actually, it doesn't. The Bible records that polygamy took place. That's way different than saying, yeah, go be um, a polygamist. No, what the Bible actually teaches in Genesis is, uh, is, is God's definition of marriage, and it's one and one, a man and a woman, and not as many as you can gather up. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what Jesus taught when he talked about marriage in the New Testament. That's not what God revealed when he, when he described marriage and, and um, uh, d defined marriage in creation. Now, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all these others, did they have multiple wives? Yes, and they were miserable. And that's, that's, not, the, that's not because of the women. Please do not shoot me, ladies. I am not saying that because of the women. I'm saying because, I mean, I can't get my act together just with Serena, I could not imagine, you know, but because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It was never intended to work. It was never endorsed. It was never uh, commanded. And yet, even though it was recorded and it was something that was part of the culture, no, the Bible doesn't teach. The Bible doesn't teach polygamy. So we have to go back and look at these things. What about, uh, what about slavery? And usually when I get asked that question, I say, well, what kind of slavery are you talking about? Are you talking about um, um, slavery that started kind of in the 1600s with African kidnapped, uh, where people were kidnapped and sold? Well, in um, Deuteronomy uh, 24 and in 1 Timothy 1, the buying and selling of people uh, is expressly condemned. But what happens in... In, um, in the culture is you couldn't go and declare bankruptcy if you were in debt to someone and say, well, that's it. I'll declare bankruptcy. You had to work off that debt and you would enter into uh, an indentured servanthood type of relationship. And there were all sorts of protections in place for those who entered into that. It could only last seven years. You couldn't be sold away um, 
uh, your, your, there, were, there were certain rights that had to be protected. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, it even says, if a slave runs away to you, you're not supposed to send them back because you're supposed to assume there's a reason they ran away. Um, so there were, there, were, there, were different, there were different things going on. And so, yes, we have this full and final complete word in the Bible, and Jesus brings that to us, and these, these aspects of Scripture that can be problematic, usually when we get into what was actually going on in the culture, we find the Bible not promoting terrible things like polygamy and slavery and the subjugation of women. We actually see the Bible um, acting, even if it's planting a seed, in a very countercultural way. Um, other uh, other um, cultures were not necessarily providing this kind of protection for for women and for servants. Some were, but it wasn't the norm. Um, polygamy and primogeniture, where where uh, the firstborn is is elevated and 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 given undue favor. Um, those were things that the the trajectory of Scripture began to work against, okay? And it took a while because culture, you know, culture's a tough, uh, kind of a tough nut to crack. But over time, the, the Scripture was constantly subverting, working to subvert some of those things. Um, uh, subjugation of women. We've talked about that in here before where... Um, some of the protections of women that sound really weird to us in our modern day and age uh, were very countercultural. And then, of course, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, what Jesus and Paul did to, um, to talk about and elevate women in that culture uh, was nearly scandalous in how countercultural it was. But so anyway, my point in all that rambling is often what we believe to be obsolete and, and think needs to be corrected or tweaked or made more complete is actually countercultural and relevant when we understand the context and the purpose, okay? That, now, that's not going to satisfy everybody, and I really don't know what to do with shellfish and uh, mixed garments, other than in some of those things, it was, a new, it was a new nation that needed to learn how to trust and listen to God um, in, in a hostile environment. And I think it was, I think for a time, it was an issue of maturity, kind of like what we do with our kids when we tell them the stove is hot, don't touch it. And th because that's all they can understand for, for right then. You and I know the stove is hot and I make good food on it. I use the heat to do good things, but they're not there yet. And culturally, some of the things that this, this young, the, these newly released people who had been in, in bondage for 400 some odd years probably needed to start at the Vince Lombardi thing. Gentlemen, this is a football, you know. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Learn to trust me, learn to trust me. And then you see in the trajectory there, um, Jesus proclaiming things clean that had previously been unclean and, and things like that. So um, Jesus completed the sacrifice, he completed salvation, he completed revelation. So does that mean, Kevin, that God no longer speaks? Of course not. Of course not. That takes us to the second, uh, second thing. But any questions on the first, uh, first point? All right. Uh, this final word is alive and actively speaking. And that's why I love Hebrews. Hebrews 4.12 is actually the first verse ever that I remember memorizing. If there was another verse I memorized, I don't remember it. Um, but it's the first verse that I remember memorizing. Uh, for the word of God is alive and active, um, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I think it borders on the miraculous that God speaks not through a new revelation that I get or you get, but he continues to speak through the revelation he's already given. And that the revelation that he's already given is sufficient and continues to guide us and continues to teach us. You know, how many of us have read uh, a passage of scripture that we've read our entire life and something jumps off the page that we're like, I've never seen that before, never realized that before. Um, And I just, I think that's lends itself to this idea that a closed canon and a, and a final word in Jesus does not mean that God no longer speaks because this word that we have, this, this, um, this revealed word we have is described as a living, active organism almost, like a, a sword, like a scalpel um, that, that doesn't let us off the hook with our bad thinking or our, our sins of commission or omission, um, but uh, and doesn't let us off the hook when we do when we try to lie to ourselves because we are better at deceiving ourselves than anybody is at deceiving us. You know, um, we can justify anything. Just give us a few minutes, right? Um, I read a book by a, a, a man named Michael Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, I think is how, it's not H-A-T-E, that's not his name, but Michael Haidt. And it was a book called The Righteous Mind. And in The Righteous Mind, um, Haidt talks about why is it that people can come to conclusions about things and even, even in the face of overwhelming evidence that contradicts the view, not change their mind. And, and there have been studies done, and um, uh, I, think it was, I think it was maybe the, maybe, maybe the Atlantic um, had a, had a long-form long article a couple years back that said why facts don't change our mind anymore. And what was interesting about it is what uh, this book, The Righteous Mind, goes into is it says we are we need something more than just a dead fact. There has to be something lively, something in that fact that connects to us relationally. Either a person that, uh, a, a person that holds that differing view that we're able to uh, interact with, or somehow... Uh, We've had, a, we, we've had an idea, but there's a, an opposing idea or a different idea, and the person holding that idea doesn't match up to the stereotype that we've usually, you know, the villains of those, you know, they're not the villain that we've either told ourselves or other people have, have said that they are for, you know, the people who hold that view, you know, because that's what we do. Somebody doesn't hold my view, well, they're a villain. You know, we may not use the word villain, uh, but, you know, obviously they don't love Jesus as much as we do, you know, or, or, or whatever it is, whatever, whatever it is that we do to kind of, to put that separation. And I love to shatter stereotypes, you know, um, and what I found over the years is that um, some of my closest friends are people who, with whom I don't agree with them on much of anything. And we love each other. We have a good time. Um, If we get into it, yeah, we get into it. But I don't, I didn't live up to their definition of a villain and they don't live up to mine. So we're good. We're good. And it makes life, it really makes life fun because Unless your ideas are getting pushed on, you're not really thinking. So anyway, what's that have to do with Bible study? Um, What the righteous mind, he said, what causes people to change their mind is not the facts. It's the relationship with the facts. More, More so, it's the relationship that a person has with a person who's presenting different facts. And 
there's a, there begins to be a relationship of trust and likability. They're not the villain I thought they were. Actually, they're kind of neat. Actually, we do have more in common. We both love Jesus or we both like Cocker Spaniels or whatever the point of connection is. We're both cat people. Hallelujah. Anybody else feel me? I'm a cat guy. I'm a crazy cat guy. I'm a cat dad, you know. Um, you know, we both like Star Wars or whatever. Um, and we start liking them. And then something happens where we begin to want to adopt the idea of this person because we like them. And then we create a narrative in our mind that allows us to do that. Okay, it's a fascinating book, fascinating book. And I, I started to go back in my mind to the times that I've changed my mind. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it wasn't just facts alone that did it. And so I remember back when I was taking philosophy, um, reading a book, why, why Good Arguments Often Fail. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. I thought, oh, if you have the, the right argument, you should always win the day. And that dog won't hunt, you know? Um, it's not just facts alone. It's relationship. Okay, back to, the, back to the study. Whenever we are confronted or affirmed by God's word, it is a relational type of thing. There's something active there. Whenever I'm being confronted because I've come to the scripture with my, with my righteous motives, if I do say so myself, and the, the penetrating sword of the scripture says, uh-uh and I'm put off and I'm confronted, but I'm confronted by this friend I have in Jesus and I'm confronted by this good, good father that I have in Father God and I'm confronted by this counselor and um, Parakletos, the one who walks beside me in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so, it's a relational, living, breathing type of speaking encounter that we have with this full and final word, okay? Um, and I, and, I, and I, I love that. I love that. Um, what, I, what I wrote, and I don't know if this made it into your outline, that the spirit of the word made flesh, the Holy Spirit, breathes life into the written word Okay, I think it's uh, either 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy, um, one of the Timothy letters, uh, where it says that the word of God is, um, is all scripture is God-breathed, okay? So the spirit of the word made flesh, the Holy Spirit, breathes life into the written word to guide and direct us in ways that are consistent with the Father's will. So you see all the members of the Trinity at work in the living and active word of God, um, affirming us or confronting us, and sometimes both in the same sitting, <laughs> you know? All right, so what does that mean for us, okay? One thing there that I put in your notes, if the Bible never offends you, and if God never disagrees with you, then you're seeking to make God in your image, rather than yielding to his work to conform you to his image, you've built an idol. Um, so that living, active, speaking relationship we have with God's word, yes, will encourage us. Yes, will uplift us. Yes, will comfort us. And also will penetrate us, and divide our soul and spirit and, 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 and lay bare our real motives. And yet, when God is seeking to draw us into repentance, to change our mind, to change our direction, it's from a relationship of, of, of love. And even if it involves discipline, it's the, it's, it, we, God disciplines those he loves. So I still don't like it though. Do you? I still don't like it, but um, we learn to trust. We learn to trust that. The living word, uh, use, the, living, the Lord uses the living word actively to seek to draw you back to Jesus, okay? Um, 
And, and the third thing here is the word of God reveals the full heart of God. The word of God reveals the full heart of God. In uh, verses two and three, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's spoken to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so I think it's important in order for us to really understand the Bible, we really need to try to understand Jesus. If you want to know the ultimate way to interpret Scripture is interpreting it through the lens of the love of Jesus. Um, if our interpretation of the Bible is inconsistent with the character of Jesus, then we've missed something. Um, so uh, what the way one of my professors put it, he said, to get the Bible right, you've got to get Jesus right first. Not getting Jesus right because Jesus is wrong, but we've got to get our beliefs about Jesus right. Okay, I want to make that clear because this is recorded. Come back to haunt me. Um, so what is it that we, that we see? Okay, so he's spoken to us by his, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Now, this part that we kind of skipped over before is where I want to focus, verse three. The son is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Some of my friends want to know, it, they want to know about the God of the Old Testament and the Jesus of the New Testament. And they're not different entities. Um, again, the Old Testament we get we get sound bites and we get glimpses. Um, it's, we get puzzle pieces. In the New Testament, we get more of the complete picture. In Jesus, we get the whole thing in HD, in 4K, 8K, whatever, whatever the newfangled thing is. It's beyond my TV, which makes me want to get another TV. But that's what we get in Jesus. That's what we get in Jesus. The radiance, the exact representation. And so if we really want to know the heart of God, if we really want to know the full and final point of Scripture, the, 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 the point at which all, all of Scripture is, is coming to, the, the end, if you will, it's in the person of Jesus. And I love what Nadia Boltz-Weber there, uh, she, she put, uh, because I think sometimes we ask this question. She said, the thing that really cooked people's noodles, and I just love that term, the thing that really cooked people's noodles wasn't the question, is Jesus like God? Because I think that's the question that I, kind of, is Jesus like God? But no, it's what if God is like Jesus? What if God is not who we thought? Okay. What if the most reliable way to know God is to look at how God chose to reveal God's self in Jesus Christ? And she's asking a rhetorical question because that is exactly how God chose to reveal himself. And so all of God's word is revealed fully and finally in the full and final revelation of God, which is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And everything that we try to do to navigate and interpret and understand scripture is, is the grid and the, the, the Rosetta Stone, if you will, of scripture is Jesus himself. And in Jesus, we see the heart of God, a God who loves us, who came for us, who walks with us, who died for us, who rose, and, and whose son ascended and sat down and intercedes for us now. That's awesome. That, that's, that's a good word, as my granny used to say. That's a good word. And the word that he speaks over you, that's the word you believe. That's, that's the word you listen to. The full and final revelation of God points to the fullness of God revealed in the person of Jesus. And so is the Bible the final word of God. The Bible points to, the, the Bible is a sufficient guide to point us to the full and final revelation of God, who is Jesus Christ.
and you can trust the Bible. The Bible is dependable. The Bible is infallible. But the fullness of who God is, I don't think could be contained in a book. It's all contained in a person. So I hope that has made a little bit of sense. Talk to me. Let me know what you think. Any questions, thoughts? Um, rotten tomatoes being thrown? Yeah. It's, it, it is. I started in John. That's where I started in my journey. And that's what I tell people, uh, new, new Christians or whatever, uh, or people who are saying, you know, I, I'm, you probably wouldn't be shocked, but, you know, how many people who have been Christians for a long time, but they haven't started reading the Bible yet. And they're like, where do I start? Like, start in John. Start in John. John and Proverbs is what I encourage them to do. So I love Proverbs. A proverb, my youth pastor used to say, a proverb a day keeps the stupids away. So, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, any, any, any other thoughts, questions, concerns? Okay, that, that guy, Richard Haight, I think I'm getting his name right, but he also wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, which is also a really, really, he writes a lot of books about the mind and how we think. Jonathan Haight, thank you. I knew it had, see it, I didn't even get the syllables right. That's three syllables, Jonathan, thank you. Jonathan Haight. All right. All right, friends, well, um, off the top of your head, we're coming up on 2022. Uh, I'm putting, I'm starting to put, to get, put together a preaching calendar for 2022. Um, and I, I promise this is not the only way that I discern what to preach, but I really want to hear from you. What are some, what are some things that, uh, topics, books of the Bible, uh, different things that in 2022 you would uh, be interested in, uh, and I'm talking Sunday morning, um, be interested in, in, in hearing about. Boom, 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 boom. Revelation. <laughs> Revel no. <laughs> Revelations. No, I'm kidding. Don't, 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 don't call it that around me, Al. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that'll be a Wednesday night thing. We'll go through Revelation in here. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun, though, because... I definitely don't take the left behind track on that. Uh, okay, Revelation. No. What What else? No. <laughs> You're singing my song. Okay. And we're and we're together on that because yeah, there's a whole. Um, I'm I'm um, I'm tinkering around with a, putting together a series on the Holy Spirit and using the fruits of the Spirit as a guide to helping us understand the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, it, it, it'll, it'll get more clear. Right now it's in the fuzzy stage. Uh, right now it's on, it's, on a, it's on a legal pad with lines and it's a mind map right now. It looks like spaghetti, but it will... Um, Yeah, and the good thing is with hopefully getting on the other side of COVID, you know, the numbers continue to drop here in Madison County. And in fact, you'll probably get a, you'll, you'll probably get a letter from me um, this week, late this week, early next week. And it's basically, uh, hey, y'all, come back, come back to church, you know, come back in person. We need you. We love you. Um, uh, so you'll be hearing that. And, and uh, so Daphne and I are working together, uh, cooking up some stuff to... Um, uh, so she is really, really good. She is really, really, really good. Hey, Daphne. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what else? What else? I am putting one together on our identity and our identity in Jesus. Because uh, I, I, I think we don't really know who we are in Christ. So that's something I'm tinkering with. Um, but yeah, what else? Any Anything else? Yes, sir. Mm. Well, and it's hard because I think a lot of what we a lot of what we have to learn is how to respond 
but out of fear we react. And it's not that so, you don't want to fear, you want to love them. Yeah. It takes time, and, and you know, kind of the nutshell on that is um, always, always put the humanity first. Not, not the issue or what, whatever it is, but always uh, speak to the human being created in the image of God first. And, and then you'll go from there. But that's good. That's good. Um, I like that. So, good. All right. Well, it's 747, and those are big, those are big airplanes, and it's also the time that we need to go. So, let's pray. I'll hang around uh, if you have questions or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, next week, um, well, yeah, stay tuned next week. Um, I'm kind of tinkering between two different things to talk about, but it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be good. So, uh, Lord God, thank you for the love that you give us in Jesus. Um, we pray that no matter who we encounter or, um, what issue we face, uh, what obstacle, um, just help us to remember that you uh, let us be led by your love. And in that, uh, may we glorify you and may we act in ways that promote the good and flourishing for others. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great week. I'll see you at church on Sunday and bring people with you. Sunday, I believe in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. It's one of those times when people say, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I say, Jesus, and I'm not being snarky, you know. <laughs> it, it really, I really am. Thank you all.